guys, and welcome to the Wealth and Overdrive podcast. This is your host, Harry Luca and Phil Bodine. Phil, how are we doing today? We're doing just great. Off to a good start. <laughs> For those just joining us, it's been a bit of a technical um, journey here this morning uh, for the podcast itself, but we are so happy to be here. And today, what we're going to be showing you guys is going over what we class as the four rules of the four, of the financial institutions. The most powerful thing that you'll be getting from this podcast today is kind of just more how basic these core concepts are and how powerful they can be in the future. Um, we're going to be breaking down really how banks are set up to work, um, how we as individuals kind of look at banks as just ways how we've always done things, how our parents have shown us, what the schools have taught us. But primarily when you look at the wealthy, larger business owners, they want, you want to be the bank and not just simply use the bank. Wouldn't you agree, Phil? Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions in the arena that I work in every day is that people just understood this one simple concept. Uh, just what you said, Harry. Uh, instead of using the bank, be the bank. And more importantly, owning your own bank or your own access to capital is extremely important. So the slides that we're going to cover today, you can pretty much make all your financial decisions based on these two slides. And we're going to give several examples today as, as to how that works. Thank you, Harry. Um, as I said before, uh, let's just envision yourself as the owner of a financial institution. Um, or let's back up. What is a financial institution? Financial institution can be a bank. It can be an insurance company. It could be a mutual fund. It could be Wall Street. Uh, there's many different types of financial institutions, but let's more importantly, let's understand how they work. And I think one of the best exercises to go through is to just switch roles with the audience and allow them to be the owner of the bank. So let's just assume here for a moment that you are the owner of Wells Fargo Bank. And as an owner of Wells Far Fargo Bank or the owner of that business, what is the most important thing when it comes to business? Well, we all know in order to stay in business, first of all, we have to generate a profit, right? So uh, without profits, uh, businesses fail. So the first and foremost thing that we need to have the mindset of profit. So if you own the bank, let's go through the four most important rules of owning that bank and the four rules of financial institutions. So if I'm waltzing into your bank on any given day, what is the one thing you want from me? As the owner of that bank, what do you want from me? Well. 
the one thing, first and foremost, what you would want from me, you'd want all my money. So how, how would I give you my money? Well, you would offer convenience. You would help me with free checking. Uh, you'd open up a savings account for me uh, and a place for me to position my money in your bank. But the first thing you would want from me, you'd want all my money. Second thing, what is the best way for me to give you my money? And this takes a little bit of a thought process. What's the best way for me to deposit my money uh, into your bank? Well, I, I have uh, clients at Intel. I've got clients at Hewlett Packard, multiple corporations. Today, we, we don't even receive a check anymore. The, our checks are just automatically deposited in the bank. And why is that important for the bank? Well, first number one rule of being a business owner, profit is number one. Number two is cash flow. Well, if you know Intel's payroll is coming through your bank on a consistent basis, you can predetermine when that cash flow is going to hit based on payroll. So the second rule of the financial institutions is First of all, you, you want all my money. Second of all, you want me to give you my money on a regular and or systematic basis through direct deposit um, and or systematic savings. Number one, let's go through these again. Number one, you, you want all of my money. Number two, you want my money on a regular or ongoing basis. Ideally, for you, the owner of the bank, how long would you want to hold on to my money if you own the bank? The perfect answer would be forever. What does the advertisement look like? What, if you own the bank, what would you be teaching me as a consumer in order for me to, for you to hold on to my money as long as possible? What would you want me to deposit my money into? Uh, 30-year mortgage? or you'd penalize me for early withdrawal. You teach me at a very young age, the miracle of compound interest. Uh, I, I actually could can prove to you that the miracle of compound interest really isn't a miracle. It could be more of a nightmare because there are so many things that are not calculated uh, with the compounding of the interest. Dividends and capital gains reinvested, which is basically the sister to compound interest. Um, but holding on to my money as long as possible, what, what about CDs? I, I remember when I came into the business in 1989, I was coming across individuals that had 10-year CDs that they took out in the early 80s paying 14 16%. <laughs> uh, however, you know, that was just at least a 10-year duration of time. Let's put our thinking caps on and think a little bit longer term. The money's in your IRAs and 401ks. The question needs to be asked, is that truly your money? Essentially, that doesn't become your money until you pay the taxes and the penalties to get it. 
IRAs, 401ks, you teach me uh, the miracle of compound interest. Why do all banks have trust departments? Easy. They not only want to control your money while you're alive, they want to control your money at death. So let's repeat. The four rules of financial institutions. Number one, you want all my money. Number two, you want it on a systematic and ongoing basis. Number three, you want to hold on to my money as long as possible. The fourth rule of financial institutions, for the money that I give you, do you want to give me as much money as possible or as little money as possible when it comes to exchanging my money for yours? Well, obviously, you'd want to give me or loan me uh, back as little as possible. So, in other words, if I were to exchange money with the bank, um, I give the bank money. In return, would you give me as much as possible or as little as possible? Well, little as possible, obviously. Savings accounts today are paying essentially one-eighth of a percent of interest or next to nothing. And the insult to injury on that is you get a 1099 at the end of the year, so you get to pay tax on the little bit of money that they give you. However, if I go into the bank and I want to borrow your money, you're going to charge me at least 4 to 5% on a home mortgage or as high as 21 to 28% on a credit card. Do you see a problem with that? So let's go through a few examples of this one particular slide. Again, the rules of the financial institutions are this. They want all our money. They want it on a systematic basis. They want to hold on to it as long as possible. Give us nothing back in return. We want to use banks, but we want to use them for their money, not just our money. So not many people have seen one of the most profitable ways that banks make money. And this is in theory. I actually learned this theory in economics at the Indiana School of Business. Have you ever heard of the economic theory, velocity of money multiplier? Many people have not. Uh, but essentially, the banks have mastered this theory. I learned about it in college, but I was never taught how to apply it. So let me ask you this question. If I could show you a way to make multiple rates of return on your money, if I could show you ways to create multiple benefits, would you want that? Well, of course. Well, that's the secret. Uh, the banks aren't always out there. Uh, they're telling us what to do, not how to do it. In this particular slide, we want to show you how to do it, how to incorporate it into your everyday living lives. So essentially how they do this is the bank will take your money. They'll loan it to you in the form of a car loan. And Harry, let's just assume you have a car loan. I'm going to charge you interest on that loan. When you make your car payment, who do you make the car payment? To. 
the bank. Back to the bank. So after I've charged you interest on that loan, that 6% interest, that, that same dollar goes back to the bank. Well, the banks will take that same dollar out again. They'll loan it to you or someone else in the form of a credit card loan. You make your credit card payment payment after the banks charge you interest. Let's say that's 18% interest. Make your credit card payment. That same dollar goes back. They take the same dollar out again. They loan it out to you or someone else in the form of a home mortgage. You make your house payment. That same dollar goes back. They take the same dollar again. They loan it out to you or someone else in the form of a boat loan. They charge you 9%, let's say, on that boat loan. Same dollar goes back. My question is to you, Harry, in the audience, what's the rate of return that the bank is getting on that same dollar? Well, if if we add all four loans up, that's approximately 38% rate of return on the same dollar. Well, how do they do that? That's just trading or exchanging the same dollar multiple times over while we as consumers, we just let our money sit in the bank only getting one rate of return. So velocity money multipliers is a very, very uh, powerful economic strategy that's employed by banks and they've mastered the game of velocity and money multiplier. Now let's apply the previous slide, the four rules of the financial institutions, and the second slide, velocity money multiplier, let's apply that to our own everyday living money strategies. Now, Harry, understanding these two powerful slides, now I own the bank. You're coming in to see me. Mm -hmm. What type of a mortgage would I want you to have on your home if I own the bank and you're the consumer? A 30-year mortgage or a 15-year mortgage now that you know the four rules of the financial institutions and velocity of money multiplier, what type of a mortgage would I want to try to sell you as the owner of the bank? 30-year or 15-year mortgage? Well, you'd want me to have a 15. Yeah, but contrary to what most people would say, well, Phil, I would want to have a 30-year mortgage. Well, why would you want to have a 30-year mortgage? Well, the bank's going to show you, look at all the interest you would pay over that 30-year mortgage, when in essence, statistics show that Americans, on average, live in their home 7.7 years which means you're not even going to stay into that home for a full 30 years. Correct. Right? Correct. So I'm going to get you to focus on the interest rate, and which has a lower interest rate, a 15-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage? 15. 15. Every time. 15-year mortgage is a lower interest rate. And if I can get you to focus on that lower interest rate, is that a good thing or a bad thing for you, for me, the consumer? It's bad. For me, it's bad. For you, it would be bad 
if you knew the four rules of the financial institutions and velocity of money multiplier, because we know it mm -hmm. all comes down to cash flow. Mm -hmm. And which would have a higher obligation to pay? Because what what is the Greek word meaning from the original language? What does the Greek word mortgage mean? It, it means pay till death. So I know that sounds kind of morbid, but that's actually what the word mortgage means in the original language. However, what's more important for me uh, and my clients is to understand cash flow. We want to take advantage of cash flow. Thus, we want a 30-year mortgage versus a 15-year mortgage because it would be a less obligation to pay. It'd be lower cash out of my pocket, less obligation of a monthly house payment, and I could create more liquidity, safety, rate of return, and possibly tax benefits by incorporating a 30-year mortgage versus a 15-year mortgage. Now let's switch this to the insurance in uh, industry. Harry, now knowing what you know about financial institutions, let's look at your car and your homeowner's insurance. Would you want, if, if I own the bank, what would I want you to have? a low deductible or a high deductible. And before you answer that question, think to yourself, you know, what's, what's in it for the insurance company versus what's in it for you? So how would you answer that question? Well, what's in it for them is a, is a premium. And so they would want me to have a lower deductible. So I would have a higher premium to pay them. Correct. In essence, the insurance company wants you to have a lower deductible instead of a higher deductible on your car and homeowner's insurance. And all you really need to analyze there is the difference between, you know, your current $500 deductible versus a $1,000 deductible. What's that added expense to take on an additional $500 of additional risk? Well, that could be anywhere from $50 a year to $150 a year for only $500 of additional risk. But the insurance company wants me to have a $250 deductible because my insurance premiums would be higher. Um, I'm looking at it as efficiency and wanting to have the lowest cost for insurance with the maximum amount of protection, which is the objective of all of our clients when they come in to see us. We want you to have maximum protection, least amount of cost. And in order to have the most efficient coverage, uh, I would, on the dollar, I'd want to have a higher deductible with lower obligation to pay for that coverage. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So those are two really good examples of how the financial institutions operate and how they work. And, and again, keep this in mind. They're not out teaching us how to do this. They're teaching us what to think, not how to think. Hopefully, 
these strategies and this podcast can help you make better decisions going forward. And essentially, all you need to do is just understand these two slides. They're very powerful slides. And every decision that you make, you just take the role of the financial institutions, think it through the way that they do, and incorporate it for yourself. Hopefully, this been a this is bringing a lot of value and benefit to our audience today, Harry. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things you can look at this and think on a very basic standpoint. We're not saying any of these tools or vehicles that the banks employ are bad. You just need to know the rules of the game so you can play it our way and not the way the banks want us to play. Is that pretty much how you put it? Yeah. I mean, I, I know this sounds really odd. I, I actually remember the, the uh, little neighbor that I, I grew up with and we we had chalk on the sidewalk and he taught me the game of tic-tac-toe. Well, he taught me the game, but guess who'd always won? He did because mm -hmm. he knew the rules of the game better than I did. Um, I think the same theory applies to the rules of the financial institution. If you understand the game that they're teaching us, I think if you understand the the game and the rules better and there's better disclosure um, it makes it that much easier to play the game and mass more importantly master the game of money and how it actually works absolutely and i think it's like you can look at these things and everyone's got their own point of view you know credit cards you know you've got people that know how to use them leverage them for points and credits and so forth and can have they help this have the self discipline to use it for them and credit cards can be very profitable specifically in businesses but also in personal use when it comes to cars when it comes to car loans very close concept to what Phil just mentioned with the insurance companies and the deductibles or with a mortgage they want you to look at things more like the payment versus what actually your out the door or bottom line is, the term and the interest rate. They just want you to focus on the payments so that other stuff can kind of get lost in the confusion. Again, that benefits the banks. When over the, the, the mortgages, of course, when it comes to boats, you'd look at it the same as cars. It's all about knowing how the game is played so you can play it on your side of things. Phil, have you got any kind of you know, just strategies, just like one tidbit you could give away on, you know, a, a concept that, uh, you know, someone listening to this today could kind of use the rule of a bank to benefit them that maybe isn't out there in the market? Yeah. And, and I, I think it, it consistently, uh, if, if people will just play this back <laughs> and their minds on multiple times, uh, uh, again, think of the rules of the financial institutions and the game they're trying to teach us. Again, those rules, it, it always seems like we have to play by their rules. They, they want all our money. They want it on a systematic basis. They want to hold on to it as long as possible, give us nothing back in return. That summarizes <laughs> what a 401k is or an IRA. That summarizes what a mortgage is. And if you understand those two just those two things uh, amongst many other things. Uh, again, they're trying to teach us how to think, what to think, and, and it, the, the cards are stacked against you. Um, yeah, I, I think that's 
so beneficial if, if people just understood the rules of the game and how to master those rules uh, to create more integrity or to get your wealth in overdrive, <laughs> have it work more efficiently for you and not the financial institutions. Yeah, I think old people always, and especially when you look at mortgages, it holds so true to those four rules because obviously you're going to give it to them for, you know, potentially they want 15, but, you know, typically it might be a 30, but then people will say, well, how they give it back to you? Well, if you ever want that money back, you've got to borrow that money from the bank on their terms. So again, every component of this, no matter what a loan is, the bank controls those four rules. And I'd probably say a very large percentage of people follow those rules unknowingly. Um, Phil, I haven't got any other questions for you, man. The only thing else you want to finish with us today? No, no. Life is good. Because <laughs> you, know, you know the rules, right? <laughs> yeah, life is good. Eternity is better. Uh, prepare for both. There's my words of advice for today. Well, damn, that's a drop the mic on that one. So there we go. Well, guys, I appreciate you hanging out with us on this podcast. Again, if you wanted to see the slides, head over to our YouTube channel. It is young and it is growing um, at the time of this recording on this one. So head over onto there. The link will be down in the description. Again, if you got some value from this podcast today, you can please share uh, like, comment below. Of course, comments really more than I ever imagined help drive this podcast further and put it in front of more people that hopefully this can provide value to at the same time. So on that note, from Phil and myself, you have a good evening and we'll see you shortly.